This episode is brought to you by the generosity of our listeners. And he said, it doesn't matter what your flesh has done. You could be a thief, a drug addict, an alcoholic, an ex-convict, a bank robber. Well, I qualify for everything. That's Bill Davis, minister, speaker, evangelist, on this episode of the Bold Idea Podcast. Put your faith to work. This is the Bold Idea Podcast with ideas, interviews, and inspiration to bring your bold ideas to life. Here are your hosts, Larry Gates and Armin Asadi. Hello and welcome to the Bold Idea Podcast. This is your co-host, Larry Gates. Along with Armin Asadi. And we are so glad you're here for another episode to put your faith to work and bring your bold idea to life. We want to wish you a happy new year as we get started in the first episode of 2019 already. Imagine that. No big deal. I'm still going to write every, 2018 for like another month. I do it every single year. <sighs> <sighs> I saw somebody's blog post saying they've successfully made it through 2018 without writing 2017. So, you know, <laughs> hey, maybe they can do that two years in a row. In any case, welcome to the new year. And uh, we're so glad you're with us. We are excited to have our guest on the program today. Bill Davis is an itinerant minister for over 30 years, but he has an incredible story you are not going to want to miss. Bill is the son of a Florida police detective, but a little bit of a rebel attitude, I might say, that led to a premature discharge from the Air Force. Uh, his antisocial behavior led to a life of crime, drugs, repeated imprisonment, along with uh, sharing a jail cell, or at least being next to Charles Manson for a time. And uh, with his body suffering the ill effects of alcohol, drugs, and a rebellious lifestyle, he was dramatically changed by Jesus Christ in 1972. And he goes around the world speaking to audiences about that transformation and about trusting God and living on a day-to-day basis. This is one episode that you are going to enjoy as you move into 2019. We can't wait to really dive into that, so we want to welcome to the podcast, Bill Davis. Welcome, Bill. It's good to be here. So glad to have you uh, on the program. Now, you have uh, quite a story to tell our listeners. In fact, you've told this story probably hundreds of thousands of times to people all over the world over the last 30 years or so, but it's really your life story, and it's really where God's taken you, and it's just a remarkable, uh, as I got even just a thumbnail of it, uh, I was blown away. So let's begin where you normally begin with audiences when you talk about how God's moved you in your life. Well, I normally talk about the night that I was touched by the Lord. Uh, I had spent four and a half years in prison. At one point, I was in a cell next to Charles Manson in the L.A. County Jail, facing uh, 11 life sentences for armed robbery. That's how I ended up in that jail cell. And then uh, through a series of circumstances and people that I met, a very special man named Arthur Blessett began to pray for me and went to bat for me in court during that period of time that I was facing all those armed robbery charges. And the judge uh, gave me a break, gave me a year in the county jail and dropped all the charges, including the bank robbery charges. And uh, six months, almost a year after that, I guess, I got out of jail and five months later, uh, I was down in Florida, and I was on my way to commit suicide. I had been diagnosed with a bleeding ulcer, and the uh, doctor told me I wouldn't live for more than 72 hours. And I decided to overdose with heroin, which I was been using heroin for about four months. And 
So I went and got enough heroin to overdose, and I was driving back through Lakeland, Florida, on my way to my parents' place to overdose. And I heard music playing along the side of the road, and I looked, and I didn't know what it was, but it was a Christian coffee house, and they were singing a song. And I stopped my car, got out, began to listen, and they began to talk about how Jesus could set you free. And I went, oh, man, it's a church. And I turned to get in my car, and the director quoted a scripture out of Joel 2.28, that in the last days, God will pour out of his spirit on all flesh. And he said, it doesn't matter what your flesh has done. You could be a thief, a drug addict, an alcoholic, an ex-convict, a bank robber. Well, I qualified for everything. And if you need help, ask us to pray for you. And I did. And the next thing I knew, I was on my knees repenting and asking Jesus to forgive me. And to my absolute surprise, I was forgiven, completely forgiven. And I've known that every day since, that I'm a forgiven man. Well, let's start back at the beginning. How did you, 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 you grew up in a family where your dad was a police officer. Yeah. How does a son of a police detective become, you know, a hardened criminal? Well, I, I ended up going in the air force when I was 17 and, and, uh, I went out one night and I got drunk and found out later when I came back to the base that I was on duty and, uh, <laughs> I went out on duty, which I shouldn't have, but I had to. And I fell asleep. And while I was asleep, my uh, superior officer came, woke me up. And next thing I knew, I pulled my weapon on him and was ready to shoot him. And they don't really appreciate that in the military. (laughs) And so they gave me the left foot of fellowship and kicked me out. And uh, a week and a half later, I was back in Florida and I I did a burglary in a house because I was desperate for money. And... um, I went to my sister and gave her some of the money I stole from the burglary. And, and I went out looking for a job the next day. And that uh, night I came back to her house and sitting in front of her house was a green and white car with a red bubble on top, sheriff's deputy. And I just walked in the house and he said, uh, Bill Davis. I said, yeah. He said, I've got two felony warrants for your arrest, breaking and entering and grand larceny. And at the breaking and entering, I'd stolen a lady's watch, including $240 cash. And I had sold that watch at a pawn shop for $15. Mm. And so they handcuffed me in front of my sister and put me in the car and they hauled me off to jail. And on the way to the jail, I said to the deputy, I said, how'd you guys catch me so fast? And he said, man, you've got, he laughed out loud. And he said, you got to be the dumbest crook I've ever met. (laughs) He said, you left fingerprints all over the house. The second thing, uh, when you pawn that watch for $15, it was worth $3,000. He said, and that's the felony. And he said, the other was, uh, we found a job application filled out with your name, address, and telephone number on the bedroom floor. (laughs) So I was the dumbest crook they'd ever met. So I ended up going to jail. And while I was in jail, I met a 60-year-old burglar who was a safe cracker nicknamed Wet Willie. Wet Willie asked me how I got caught, and I said, well, I'd rather not talk about it. (laughs) But then uh, I said, what do you do? And he started telling me. And over the next three weeks while I sat in that jail, he began to tell me how to crack safes and dewire alarm systems, break into buildings and all the stupid things I did and shouldn't have done. And I thought, well, I'll never use that. And I did. I ended up using it. And uh, in fact, he filled out 
uh, nine pages on a yellow legal pad on how to crack safes. Mm. And for 18 months, that's what I did. I went out and cracked safes and burglarized buildings. I never went back in a home. I only did businesses. But then the I found out the cops were looking for me to question me on those. So I ended up out in California running from the police. And I was on probation, by the way. And I got out to California and got high on acid one night and stumbled into his place, which was a Christian coffee house with this Arthur Blessed guy. And he prayed for me that night, and I was touched powerfully by the Lord. But he told me something. He said, you have a call of God to preach, and I laughed at him. Mm -hmm. I said, man, you just don't know how much trouble I'm in. And so he began praying for me. I went and turned myself in. I got extradited back to Florida and found out that I was facing 920 years with all the burglaries that I'd done. Yeah, no. They they told me I was facing the toughest judge in Florida. <laughs> Good and I with nine hundred and twenty years. Anyway, so nine twenty, and Arthur Blissett sent me like three letters, and in the last letter he said, "We're praying for you. We've got a hundred prayer groups praying for you. God's going to do a miracle." And I thought, well, only miracle God could do was kill that judge. <laughs> <laughs> he didn't, and I ended up facing that judge. But the judge said something very unusual. He said, "I'm going to give you a break." He said, you don't deserve this, but I'm going to give you two years in the state penitentiary and drop all the rest of the charges. Hmm. That was an absolute miracle. And I had that letter in my back pocket from Arthur Blessed that God was going to do a miracle. So anyway, to make a long story longer, I uh, did my two years. I got out, couldn't find a job because now I'm an ex-convict. And I ended up going out to California and I broke into a place and stole a couple guns and went out and started pulling armed robberies in supermarkets because I found out that's where the cash was. And banks, I robbed four banks. I robbed 18 supermarkets. And I was putting money together to get out of the country. And, and the last place I went in to rob, there was an old gentleman in there, about 65 years old. And I put my gun, showed it to him, and I said, put all that money in a bag. And he said, well, I can't do that. That's not my money. And I said, dude, put the money in the bag or I'll shoot you. And he threw his hands up in the air and he said, go ahead and shoot me. The minute the bullet hits me, I'll be home with Jesus. Mm. I went, oh my God, I'm in a church. <laughs> Spiritual gangster. <laughs> so I ran out without robbing the place. And the next morning, the sheriff's department came and busted the door down to my apartment and arrested me. I initially charged me with 11 counts of armed robbery and four counts of bank robbery. Put me in a cell that night about four in the morning. And the guy in the next cell said, what are you in for? I said, well, 11 counts of armed robbery and four bank robberies. He said, well, no wonder they have you in maximum security. He, I said, well, what are you in for? And he said, 27 counts of murder and conspiracy to murder. And then I realized that was Charles Manson. <laughs> and I was in the cell next to him for four months. And But it came time for me to go to court. And this Arthur Blessed visited me and he said, God's called you to preach. And I said, dude, I'm going to prison in California for the rest of my life. And he said, I don't know about that. He said, we're praying. And it came time for me to go to court. And I walked into court. And who's in the in the audience but Arthur Blessed? And he's back in the back going, praise the Lord. And my lawyer walks up and he's laughing. I said, what are you laughing about? And he said, I don't know what just happened. He said, but that guy just prayed with our the judge you're about to face. <laughs> Told him he had a call of God to preach and ask for him to be lenient. 
And he's going to give you a year in the county jail and drop all the rest of the charges. Oh, my gosh. And I said, you got to be kidding me. You got the right guy? And he said, yeah. I said, I've never seen anything like it. And so I ended up uh, doing a year in the Los Angeles County Jail. When I got out, I hitchhiked down to Florida, went to work with a rock and roll band and started traveling with this rock and roll band, uh, road managing. But I started using heroin. And uh, one night I was very, very sick. And the phone rang. It was my sister. And she said, uh, they called me Billy. She said, Billy, Dad wants to talk to you. I said, no, Dad and I don't get along well. She said, well, I think you ought to talk to him. So he called me about five minutes later and he said, Billy, we want you to come home. I said, you're kidding me. You want me home? He said, yes. And I said, dad, I'm still a mess. He said, doesn't matter. Come home. And I went home the next day and I got a job, got my first paycheck March 16th, 1972, went out and bought a fifth of Jack Daniels and got ripped. And, uh, the, that next morning, I woke up throwing up blood. I went to the hospital, and the doctor diagnosed me with a bleeding ulcer and told me I'd be dead in 72 hours if I didn't have surgery, and I refused. And got in my car and drove to Tampa and got $1,000 worth of heroin for my connection. Wrote a suicide note to my parents, and I got in my car, and I started driving back to where they lived, and I passed this building where I heard this music playing, and I pulled over to the side of the road and I began to listen. And this kid stood up and said, Jesus is here to set people free. And I went, oh, it's a church. And I got got ready to get in my car to drive off an overdose. And this guy talked about Jesus could set you free from everything, drugs, alcohol, crime, you name it. And I said, I think that's what I need. And so I asked that kid to pray for me and he did. And the next thing I knew, I was on my knees repenting and asking Jesus to forgive me of my sins. And to my absolute shock, I knew I was forgiven. And I've never doubted it one second since. Mm. And I've shared this story over 6,000 times. So That's it, huh? <laughs> that's basically in a nutshell. So I can I ask some cliche questions? Because I'm a sure. young, dumb millennial. I'm just going to ask the questions that everyone yep. thinks you shouldn't ask. But Manson, tell me. I mean, I want to know at least something about Manson and having those conversations. Like, I mean, it's not every day you get to see the demonic manifestation of Satan in a cell next to you. Yeah, you know? I, I, yeah. Before you do, I'm kind of imagining him with his legal pad giving you lots of instructions. But you know what was really crazy? crazy is I didn't believe there was a real devil until I met Charlie. Mm. And when I met Charlie, I knew immediately there was a real devil because he was full of him. And uh, I, I could look in his eyes and see it. And he scared the be willies out of everybody in there. But I had a three inch steel wall between us. So I wasn't too worried. But uh, one of the guards came up to him and he said, Charlie, I know you like to try to scare all of us. He said, I'm not afraid of you. And he said, why not? Everybody else is. And he said, because I'm a Christian and I put my trust in the Lord and I don't live in, in fearing what you could do. Hmm. And he said, uh, I, I put my trust in God. That never left me, that that guy stood up to Charlie Manson and said that. And how did he respond, uh, Charles? Uh, he backed off into the back of his cell. Mm. He got scared. Mm. I'd never seen him like that. He was shaking like a leaf. And to me, I, I witnessed the power of God right there. Mm. 
I, I made note of it because I hadn't really experienced that until the night I came to Christ. And the night I came to Christ, I experienced that power, and it really knocked me for a loop. You had been running for a while because it sounds like you had a few encounters with Arthur Blessed yeah. telling you this prophetic word that you were going to be preaching, and yet you, you resisted it. Yeah, it was a total of seven years from the time I was 18 till I was 25, and I ran hard. And But I tell people this, I ran so hard, I kept running headlong into Jesus. Every time I turned around, I ran into him. Somebody was telling me about him or sharing him with me, and I said, man, I can't get away from this thing. And then <laughs> the can't. night I was converted, I realized what it was, that the hound of heaven had chased me down. Mm -hmm. And, and he caught me big time. And he took me right to the bottom of the pit. And, but the scripture clearly says there's no pit too deep that he can't reach into and pull us out. And that's what he did that night. That's right. Well, you can't get a good cup of coffee, it sounds like, without. <laughs> <laughs> no. But Charlie, Charlie Manson was a trip. Uh, I have to say. I, I still want to know more. Yeah, I know. <laughs> I'm just not There's something morbid about wanting to know. What, <laughs> I know, and I can't help it. Did he well, try to start I'll a call to prison? I dropped acid with him in the L.A. County Jail. Wow. Now, now that was a trip. Uh, come on, share a little bit more. I'm serious. Stop teasing. Well, <laughs> some of his family members would send in letters to him, and they would load the back of the stamps that they glued on with LSD mm. and we just tear the stamp off and eat the stamp and just get wrecked. <laughs> and that's a, that's a trip being high with Charlie Manson in, in jail. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I would guess that there are only a few people that uh, can make that claim. Yeah. <laughs> I don't think there's anyone else that's ever, I've ever heard did that. Of course, <laughs> the family did, but not in jail. Yeah. I have to say when Larry and I uh, started this podcast, <laughs> I never thought I would hear these words come at us. <laughs> I put your work to fair. Yeah. Put your faith to work stories here. Well, it's a I told you I had a heck of a story. I love it's, it. It's a great example of how God can reach down into, you know, even the deepest pit, right? And the deepest pit. Yeah. Bill, let's talk about the the changes that went on with you. Um you you met your bride shortly after that or how did that connection happen? Yeah, I spoke at her church, and, and she was at her church. I gave my testimony, and she didn't like me at all. Uh, <laughs> she'd never heard of anybody getting set free like that. So, um, But three weeks later, she came to a meeting where I was speaking and gave me another chance. Well, that day, as we were driving back from Atlanta to speak at this church, I heard this voice down inside of me and it said, tonight you're going to meet your wife. Mm. And I said, I rebuke you, Satan, in Jesus' name. <laughs> I don't want a wife. I'm happy to be saved. And all of a sudden, the guy driving the car turns to me. His name was Kenny. And he said, Bill, God just told me you're going to meet your wife tonight. And I went, oh, God, you're going to get me back for all those people I robbed, all those drugs I took. You're going to give me the meanest, ugliest woman on the face of the earth. I thought you loved me, Jesus. <laughs> Um, but anyway, I went to that meeting that night, and I spoke, and 40 young people came to Christ, and I walked off the platform, and standing there was Darlene, and the Lord spoke to me and said, this is your wife, mm. and I went, yeah, baby. <laughs> <laughs> you won't, man. <laughs> and, uh, I, I asked her to go out for coffee with me, and she did, and so I said, why don't you come to Sarasota? I'm speaking there tomorrow, and she did, 
And I met her on Friday and I asked her Saturday if she'd marry me. And she said yes. Oh, my gosh. In one day? In less than 24 hours. And <laughs> for her to say yes was just not like her. But she knew something was up. And we got married November 18th and we've been married 46 years. Man, so this is like the opposite of a Kardashian wedding. <laughs> yes, yes. You guys get married was. in a day but stay together for 40 years. Yeah, <laughs> 46 awesome. years. And I, I have to tell you, I married way, way up because she is one special lady. Well, well you had to, to because God said this is who you're going to marry. I mean, you yeah, know, it yeah, kind of came right. from above, and right? She's, she's been with me every step of the way. And you know, we, we don't make uh, individual decisions about what we do with ministry. We we have to be in agreement with what we're doing. And, you know, we stepped out by faith back uh, 46 years ago. And she worked at a bank and I was working for a company cleaning houses. And uh, we both decided it's time for us to put our faith to action. And I stepped out and, and began to be an assistant pastor for no pay. And she quit her job at the bank, and and uh, we've been trusting God ever since. But we're in agreement. That's the key, absolute key to it. This is the Bold Idea Podcast. Well, I mean, let's take a moment and give thanks where thanks are due. Come on. Yeah, absolutely. Everybody that's out there supporting this podcast so that it can exist, thank you because it would not exist without you. Oh, that is so true because this is a nonprofit endeavor. We don't make any income from it. Very nonprofit. <laughs> In fact, we, we uh, provide support to it. So we're so appreciative of your joining with us through your tax deductible contribution to make this show possible. And if you do want to support and keep this bad boy going, then just go to boldideapodcast.com forward slash donate. Yeah, so I want to dive into that a little bit because there might be some of our listeners who are just wondering how how do you create alignment with your spouse around an idea? And uh, <clears throat> the idea you guys had was, hey, we're going to trust God for all the provisions that we need. We're not going to take an income from a regular job. We're going to live by faith, as you said. And uh, you reached that agreement somehow. Let's talk about that. How did that happen? Well, we, we sat down and we, we talked about it. We had left that particular ministry where I was working without pay. And uh, I told her, I said, you know, I, God called me and I think I need to follow him. And she said, well, he called me too. Let's both follow him. And I said, well, what are we going to do? She said, well, let's just pray and come into agreement. I said, all right, do you agree that we're supposed to do this? And she said, I do. And uh, we didn't send out letters. We didn't call people. We just said, let's just believe God. And within a week, I had like nine invitations to go speak places. And it has not stopped since. That's been 45 straight years. Wow. And uh, it's it's been an amazing journey, I'll tell you. But you know, I didn't twist her arm. I didn't say to her, you have to agree with me. No. Uh, if she just said, I don't agree with this, we wouldn't have done it. I'd have, I'd have gone a different direction. Have you had a time where you both have reevaluated that agreement? I think we reevaluate it all the time, to be honest with you. Mm -hmm. But but we look at our life. We look at what God's done. We look at how he 
has provided for us. Uh, I, I could write a book about the way God's provided uh, financially for us over the 45 years of full-time ministry like this, but uh, it, it's nothing short of miraculous to me of what God's done to provide for us. And it came out of our agreement with each other. And and we do marriage seminars and we teach in that marriage seminar, learn to find your points of agreement. Don't focus on your points of disagreement. Find out where you can agree with your spouse. And we happen to be fully in agreement about following the Lord by faith and the way we do. And so how do you cancel people whose only agreement might be that they disagree? We don't cancel them. We just try to help them. We try to give them examples of our agreement. Mm-hmm. We try to show them that there there is a place in Scripture that says where two or more on earth are, agree as touching anything. Heaven is moved. And that's Matthew, uh, the book of Matthew. And it says that heaven is moved, Matthew 18. Heaven is moved. God comes into agreement with us. And a threefold cord is not easily broken. And so it's her and I, and, and we're in agreement with the Lord. And the, the Lord has been very, very good to, to give us direction. At times when we felt a little dismayed, he's always stepped in and said, Here, here's what I want you to do. And, and that's speaking to both of us, not just one of us. If you could rewind to your earlier self and go back and counsel your young self starting out in ministry and starting out and following the Lord, what what advice would you give your younger self? Well, I'll tell you what my mentor told me. He said, Bill, whatever you do in your life, always trust Jesus. Don't put your trust in man. Don't put your trust in yourself. Don't put your trust in your wife. Put your trust in Jesus, and he'll take care of the rest of it. And I've watched him do that over and over and over again. And I would just say to your listeners that that Jesus is the central focus of what we do. And I put my trust in him on a daily basis. I don't just do it once. I do it over and over and over again. So how do you know, Bill, just getting down to the practical level, how do you know when your trust is faltering, when you need to revisit that and recommit to that? Well, I, I, the, the doubts that hit you, the things that come in, into your mind and say, you can't do this, uh, this can't be done, uh, to me, that's a challenge. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I, I don't know if I developed any character robbing banks, but I sure had a <laughs> lot of guts. <laughs> and I, I think that has passed on into my spiritual life. Of, of having guts to do what he wants us to do. Uh, I have a friend that uh, in Israel uh, wrote the New Testament in um, Yiddish, and uh, he was looking for a word for faith in Yiddish, and there wasn't one he could grab a hold of. And all of a sudden it hit him, wait a minute, chutzpah, chutzpah. And he said, that's the Yiddish word for guts. Mm -hmm. And he said, that's what it means to walk by faith. Mm. You've got to step out into your gut and, and believe that God's calling you and doing this. And in times of doubt, and listen, doubt is normal. It's not abnormal. It's normal. But I just tell people, just keep pressing towards Jesus. Mm. Press towards him. Somebody asked me the other day what it was like 
to live by faith. And I, I told you this the other day, but I said, it's like Jesus walks you over to a cliff and it's a 5,000 foot drop and he's showing you the bottom and he's holding on to your belt and all of a sudden he lets go of you and you're plummeting to the bottom of that cliff. Just before you land, he swoops down and catches you and he brings you back up to the cliff, and leans you back out and let's go again. And that's a daily thing. Mm-hmm. But he always has caught me. How do you find yourself ministering to those uh, people that I can bet my life savings on get sent to you on a daily basis if they have any kind of criminal background? Um, how do you find yourself ministering to them the most? Well, I what I I used to work with a judge here in Tampa that would call me and he said, "Would you go and interview this specific specific man that's in jail?" And uh, I said, what do you want me to do? He said, I want you to find out if he's sincere, if he really is had a conversion or if he's doing a foxhole conversion. And I put down a 10 question survey and I would ask them the 10 questions. And the first question I would always ask, uh, did you do the crime? And immediately if they said to me, oh, no, no, I'm, I'm innocent, then red flags would rise. But my heart is to speak to people that are coming out of that kind of situation and say to them, look at, look at what God can do with me. Look what he's done for me. If he's done it for me, he can do it for you. And I, I try to tell them, put your trust in Jesus. Again, don't trust yourself even. I don't put my trust in my ability. I put my trust in him. Well, what is the next thing you're trusting him for? What's your next bold idea? Well, I... I'm coming up uh, in January to Minnesota speaking at the universities. I have four universities I'm speaking at. And uh, I want to sit down with these young people and share my story with them and let them probe my heart and say to me, you know, wh- what was what motivated you? And and uh, my heart is in that. I, I love to go and speak to veterans uh, groups, uh, I I, uh, quit pastoring after 10 years and decided I was, my idea was to go out and speak to the public. And I'm still accomplishing that idea. And I have two and a half million miles with Delta Airlines from traveling all over the world and sharing not just my story, but sharing the good news, the gospel. And to me, that's my purpose. That's my calling. Mm. And that's what I want to say to people, you know, look, look outside yourself, get outside the box. Mm-hmm. Uh, God is not in a box. Mm. You can't put him in a box. If you think you've got God in the box, you're in the box mm-hmm. and good. he wants to break you out of the box. So that's good. That's what our theme is to get outside the box and trust God with something that's right. new and fresh. And I agree. Yeah, Bill, I thanks. Agree. Thanks for, for joining us on the podcast. Tell us how can our listeners get a hold of you? Talk about your ministry for a moment. Well, we have a website. It's called Bill Davis Men. That's M I N. That's short for ministry. Dot com. Bill Davis Men.com. On there is my personal testimony. And people can go and listen to that testimony. I also have a teaching on there that I gave on being uh, crucifying shame and uh, taking the shame of your past life and putting it to the cross. And uh, But they can go to that website and they can listen to my testimony. Uh, the contact information is on there. 
It's got my telephone number, my email address. They can contact me. I'd be more than happy to get emails and answer them. And they can question, they can do whatever they want. That's great. Well, we'll have the link to that in our show notes as well, Bill. And again, thank you for being with us today and telling us your remarkable story that, you know, where God has taken you, what he's taken you from and what he's taken you to. It's just remarkable. Well, thank you, Larry. It was our my privilege. All right. Thanks again, Bill. You're welcome. Well, I mean, Bill Davis, what, what, a, what a character, uh, what a guy. <laughs> got to tell you, I listen to stories like Bill's, and I think about my own rather placid existence. <laughs> <laughs> You're a troubled child. I know you were. You know, uh, you know, I don't think I would have the chutzpah <laughs> <laughs> well to do what he what he talked about doing. I mean, just none of that nope. is in any any part of my DNA at all. And yet as I listen to his story, it's just it's it's amazing to me how it doesn't matter where we are on our temperament or risk profile spectrum, God's able to meet, meet us there. No doubt. And, and that just speaks volumes to grace, which is always a reminder like when you're pursuing a bold idea. Yeah. If you don't come in front of the abundance of grace as the thing that's going to propel you to do your bold idea, then you aren't going to do it. Mm, so true. I mean, I can, yeah, I get it. <laughs> <laughs> I know you're still, uh, you're still reeling from the Charles Manson. Uh, well, I like, can empathize. Encounter, right? you know, I know but, you could. But yeah. like, I don't, I can't empathize with the dropping acid with Charles Manson. That's yeah. I still haven't gotten over that. That's got to be one of the creepiest experiences anyone could possibly ever imagine is doing that. I can't imagine what kind of thoughts or visions or whatever he must have had in those moments that would uh, make but look you at how those Look at how those simple acts of obedience of the various Christians that he pointed out that he encountered along the way. Right. Simple acts that that weren't on television, they're not broadcast, the world does not see a prison guard talking to Charles Manson and saying, I'm not afraid of you because I have Jesus in my heart. The world does not see that. Mm. But Bill did. Yeah. And that registered in him, and the Holy Spirit used that Mm. later in his life. Yeah. There's a simple act of obedience that that man had at that moment in time. And I just think about how does the simple acts of obedience that we have on a day-to-day basis that others might be seeing that nobody, you know, you're not going to go home and talk to some, maybe, you know, if you're yeah. the guard over Charles Manson, but I'm guessing that conversation has been long had with his <laughs> friends and family. But, you know, that's a day-to-day occurrence, right? And it's a simple act of obedience that probably was not noteworthy to anyone except God using it yeah. in the heart of Bill. What blows me away by what you're saying is how eager uh, everyone is, including me, when it comes time for the quote-unquote harvest, but planting those little seeds, uh, there's just no glory in it. It's just... That's right. You know, there's it's work, and you often walk away feeling like, did I even accomplish anything? Did I just waste my time? Did this guy or girl think I'm an idiot? Does he think I'm a quote-unquote Jesus freak? And you don't walk away very satisfied often. No. Nope. From planting seeds like planting seeds is not very gratifying by definition because nothing's grown yet. Yeah, there's no fruit. (laughs) There's no and and the ground is hollow. I mean, it's you know there's nothing there's nothing there. It's uh you know we we like to see something 
come up, yeah. especially when we think we've done it. Yeah. You know, but God gives the growth anyway, right. you know. But just think about all the different encounters that he described, the simple acts of obedience along the way, you know, from the Arthur Blessed to speaking of prophecy and kind of staying engaged with him. Yeah. That's amazing. Or just having a little coffee shop or cafe a with coffee Christian shop music. encounter. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. How do all those things tie together? Well, God uses them. Yeah. And so God uses our simple acts of obedience. We don't know who that might affect. Yeah. But it's going to affect someone. And um, that's a good, good reminder. Yeah. I mean, if there's anything that this makes me realize is no matter how many times I forget it, I always hear a story like this where it just makes me have that refreshing thought that God is relentlessly going to pursue us more than we're going to pursue him. And no matter how often we feel like we're distant from him, regardless of how much theology, you know, you can't help but feel like God is distancing himself from you. And that's never the case. And he's the one always just constantly pursuing you and trying to bring you closer to him, you know? Yeah, and it makes me think of that question. How would your life be different if you actually believed the Bible was true? <laughs> you know, I mean, really, truly trusted in the way that it's truth. The grace yeah. is there. The, the yeah. forgiveness is there. The power of living and following Christ is there. That's powerful stuff. And Bill has kind of, I think, exemplified that, just trusting God yeah. every day for that, Yeah, no which doubt. is like getting getting way outside most people, including myself's comfort yeah. zone. Oh, yeah. my so gosh. Yeah. There's some really good stretching truths here. We hope you enjoyed Bill's testimony, and I certainly enjoyed having him on the program. We hope you got something from it as we did. Find the show notes at boldideapodcast.com slash 85. That's also where you'll find a link to Bill's ministry. And uh, leave us a comment there or call our show line at 612-568-IDEA, 612-568-4332. We'd also love for you to leave us a review on boldideapodcast.com slash review. It'll take you either to iTunes or Stitcher or Google Play or wherever you listen to this podcast. We really appreciate those reviews. It helps us get the word out. And uh, so appreciate you. Welcome to the new year again, and uh, we just want to say thank you for being a faithful listener to the Bold Idea Podcast, and this is Larry Gates and Armin Asadi saying so long until next time. You've been listening to the Bold Idea Podcast. To get our show notes sent to your inbox, visit boldideapodcast.com.